Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. This podcast is a melting pot of ideas on health and well-being and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello everyone and welcome to Humanly. My name is Daniel Reuters and today I'm joined by nutritionist Sarah Spann. I'm really excited to have Sarah on today because she's just released her book, Mind the Gut. Welcome along today, Sarah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. I've been following your work for some time. Now, you are a nutritionist and you've been in clinical practice uh, for a while now. And what's really exciting is very recently, you've released a book called Mind the Gut. So for those uh, listeners who aren't familiar with your work, would you be happy to sort of talk about a little bit of your background and the new book that you've just released? Mm, Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a nutritionist. I've been practicing, uh, as you said, for a little while, and I have a special interest in uh, digestive disorders uh, and gut health. So specifically, I I really enjoy helping people with chronic conditions like irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease and celiac disease and and helping them to uh, really get their lives back from these debilitating um, symptoms that they've been getting. And uh, the book I recently wrote because there was just too much to say and it needed to go into a book and I really wanted to create a resource for people who are living with these conditions to give them something that they can get started with straight away. Yeah, I think that there's a real need for that information, particularly with the conditions that you were speaking about. Can you tell me why you actually wanted to go and write this book? Was there some sort of uh, experience that you had that made you think, I've actually got to write a book? Was there a, a moment in time that made you feel like you needed to do that? It's been on my mind for a while before I actually started writing it. It it probably comes back to why I got into nutrition in the first place, uh, which was because of my own digestive issues. I I have celiac disease myself and I went on quite a journey with, you know, healing my gut and getting into the natural therapies and finding other options and I feel like a lot of people, based on my experience, it's very easy to feel a bit trapped and disempowered when you're only, when you only know about the Western or um, conventional medical approach, which of course there's a role for, but there's so much more that we can do. And I really wanted to bring awareness to that because I feel like people can feel stuck and they can feel trapped and they can feel like this is just how their life has to be and it's just not true. So the reason for the book is to really build awareness around that as well and and show people that there's always something we can do and there's plenty of other ways um, that we can help them be healthy. And I guess that's a really important thing for you to be able to to collate the information around gut health into one sort of resource for people because I know myself whenever I have something that I'm trying to uh, treat 
from a personal perspective, there's so much information and it's just everywhere. And quite often you don't know where to look uh, or what resources are, are useful. So I think having a book like this is is quite important. Can you tell me how the book's been received so far? Is this something you're directing for your patients or is this more of something that you're looking to um, have the broader community get access to? Yeah, the idea is for the broader community to have access. And, and I absolutely agree with you on your point about the confusion because there is so much information out there. So what I've tried to do with the book is really bring it, bring it back to the basics and give people simple um, uh, activities or steps that they can take right now uh, that is going to help them alongside whatever else they're doing. Uh, so the idea is really to get it out to the broader community because, you know, when when people are working with me, I, I'm obviously sharing a lot more with them. And, and the book is helpful for that as well because I can then give them that information and spend more time with them on other things. Um, but, yeah, the idea was really to get this out to the, the broader population. It's interesting in clinical practice when we have someone come to us with a condition and they haven't even started or attempted to do anything because they're not sure where to start. Is that sort of what I'm understanding here that you've aimed, what was the main aim for your book? Yeah, absolutely. A good starting point or even for someone who's been on the journey for quite some time. And this this uh, ties into the reason for the title, Mind the Gut, um, because there's there's also some really powerful mindset shifts that really go a long way to helping people be healthy. And uh, the book talks about, you know, the, the gut-brain axis as well, but giving more practical ways to, to support that and reduce sort of uh, stress in the body, mental stress in the body by looking after their mind as well as their gut. It's not something that many people think about, even though it has been well known by naturopaths and nutritionists and in more recent times, the medical medical community, that there is a direct link between the gut and the brain. So when you decided to write this book, the, that link between the gut and the brain is so complicated. How did you actually get to a the point where you could simplify it down in an easy to understand manner for people. Yeah, that was tricky because, <laughs> yeah, as you say, it is complicated and you could easily, I could have written three chapters on it probably, uh, but the idea of the book is sort of the executive summary, not the, you know, people don't need to know all the details. What I ended up doing was using using metaphors and I used a couple of diagrams and I just really tried to, get to the basics of what they needed to know. Uh, I spoke about the digestive system as being like a, like a factory production line. So if, you know, when, when I was talking about eating food properly and uh, vagal nerve stimulation, uh, essentially I sort of said that the vagus nerve is a bit like the, the switch that flicks the digestive system on. And if this is not if this switch doesn't get flicked, your digestion doesn't get activated and, um, you know, all the steps don't occur. So that was just to explain to them the importance of um, 
you know, eating properly and eating mindfully and just how much of a difference that can make. So, yeah, I sort of broke it down into into different sections and um, just tried to explain it in, uh, yeah, just using metaphors and diagrams to, to make it really easy to understand. So, you're exactly right when you say there's so many things that can impact gut health. We've got things like psychological stress, environmental stress, the things that we eat, exposure to environmental toxins. There's so many different factors which can impact the way our gut functions. And I know that you've been working um, with a focus on gut health with your clients in clinical practice. So with your clients and in your experience, what is the most common factor that you find negatively impacting people's gut health? Mm, it's it's a very close tie between diet and stress. <laughs> um, I find that a lot of the time doing IgG testing is really helpful and identifying which foods are aggravating aggravating the system. So diet is a big one, but stress, it's, I mean, stress is with everyone as well. It's, um, it's just so prevalent now. And especially, I think in particular this year, everyone's been under probably more pressure than normal. And, you know, everyone's sort of, things are changing rapidly, which is difficult. And so, yeah, definitely stress alongside diet. Toxins, as well, but um, I find that people are more aware of that, and I mean, the, you know, the clients that seem to come to me anyway tend to be more aware of that, and they are generally using fairly natural products already and things like that. So just a bit of education around how to remove pesticide residue and um, you know the type of skincare products which are safe it seems to go, work really well there. Uh, diet is. Um, you know, we can make some changes and, and that that uh, works really well too. Stress is a bit more tricky um, because it's so subjective and everyone's a little different. So that's, that's the one that normally takes um, just a little bit of working out. When we're talking about stress, are we just talking about the stress uh, that we can perceive? So in our job or with our family or relationship stress, or are there other types of stress that people need to be aware of as well? Mm, generally perceived stress. And and I think what, what I've found is, has been really helpful uh, for my clients has been educating them around that because a lot of people I find feel like they either aren't stressed because there's nothing, you know, they're not going through trauma or anything major or even that they don't have a right to be stressed because things aren't that bad. So I think a bit of education around um, what stress means and, you know, it can simply be rushing around all day and never having a moment to yourself and just explaining the importance of um you know, allowing the parasympathetic nervous system time to, to give them a bit of healing and repair and uh, working with them to find ways that they can incorporate that based on their lifestyle. That education I find works really well. One thing I have been doing recently, uh, obviously there has been quite a considerable amount of stress happening this year, as you pointed out before, 
But one thing that I've been focusing on quite significantly over the last several months is actually religiously every morning practicing um, deep breathing to stimulate my parasympathetic nervous system response, which then obviously has a direct impact on the gastrointestinal tract. And I'm doing that through Wim Hof breathing. Mm. And I found it to actually be really helpful for me. And it's having a significant impact on my gut. It tends to just cut that cortisol response off uh, quite rapidly. And the reason why I do it as soon as I wake up in the morning is I find that if I don't do it, my cortisol response just keeps to uh, keeps increasing throughout the day. And yeah, it's a definitely a noticeable difference there by doing something simple like that. Do you have any simple things that uh, any practitioners could recommend to their clients to do, uh, which would be similar to something like the Wim Hof breathing? Or, um, Yeah, I, I find the simplest thing to say, especially to someone who's super busy, is um, it just I ask them to take 10 deep belly breaths before they get out of bed in the morning and before and when they go to bed at night. And that's a really, people find that they're able to sleep better, um, they're more calm in the morning, and it's, you know, it's so simple and it doesn't take very much time. And I find that if someone's really busy and you just start with that, they they get motivated to do more and it just, and it builds. Um, so I think that that's sort of my go-to as a, as a really base starting point. I really like those techniques and little things that we can recommend our clients that are free and easy to do. Mm. Uh, They're simple and they get effects pretty quickly because our breath is one thing that we can control uh, right here and right now. It doesn't take time for that to to necessarily change. Uh, So, yeah, it can be a really impactful way at making quick acting change in our clients Um, and also looking at the really simple things um, in life for people to make changes around uh, not only their breathing but exercising, right, because we can do that for free outside uh, or in our own home, Uh, changing our diet, drinking good water, getting good sleep, all those really simple things that we take for granted. A lot of practitioners that I know of sort of are forgetting about those really fundamental aspects of health. Are they things that you've uh, covered a lot in in your book? Yes, I do go back to basics in the book. Um, I, I don't sort of get into the technical details about you know, what supplements you should take or, or anything like that because uh, the idea is it's meant to be more empowerment of, you know, things people can do themselves and, as you say, that are simple and, and free in most cases. Um, and I, I, I think that people sometimes you just need to be reminded of these things because they seem too basic <laughs> And it, it almost seems like they won't have an effect because it's too basic and, and you've got this complicated condition, you know, how, how can it be that I just need to uh, do some more walking and, and start deep breathing when, I've, you know, I've got this chronic illness. So I think having someone reinforce that 
and then people noticing the benefits of that very quickly it makes it easier then for them to incorporate that into their life which supports whatever we're doing clinically and whatever else they're doing with their other practitioners it makes such a difference if you're doing these sort of base things as well um so yeah i I think there's a lot of value in in reminding people that it it can be these basic things they can have a big impact i'm always on the lookout for well-written uh simple to understand or easy to understand sources of information for my clients so that if they come in to see me and they've got a gut condition and it's really complicated um, whilst i'm starting the treatment for them one thing that i've found to be really good is to say go and read xyz informational go and read xyz book so i think having something like your book available for practitioners to recommend their clients would be a really useful uh, bit of information. Uh, is that another reason why you decided to write this book as well with practitioners in mind? Yeah, for sure. And there was a couple of um, practitioners when I was writing the book who said, let me know when it's finished. I'll put it in my clinic <laughs> to give to my gut patients. Um, because it, it's useful, I think, because then you as a practitioner can can spend more time on them with other things because they've got this information they can read separately. So I think it's really helpful. So yeah, I definitely did have that in mind as well. Yeah. And it's something that practitioners could literally just get a copy of and have sitting in their waiting room. And it's uh, got a really interesting name. So mind the gut, I guess uh, a play on words with mind the gap with the train line in or the tube line in, in um, the UK, I'm guessing? Yeah. Actually, it was my, my husband who thought of that name <laughs> and I quickly picked it up off him. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a bit of play on words because it, it well, in, in a couple of ways because it's like mind the, mind the gut, you know, to signify that there's an involvement of the mind as well but also about closing the gap between the two and getting them operating together and in harmony and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I love the name. I think it's great. It's catchy and as I said, practitioners could literally have it in their waiting room and their clients will see it because it is a really catchy name and I think people will pick it up and, and read it and I'm sure they're going to even just find benefit flicking through it in, in the 10 minutes before they actually get in to see their practitioner as well. What did you find was the easiest component to write and what did you find was the most difficult or challenging component to write? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> hmm. Probably the most challenging part for me was deciding what order to put the chapters in. <laughs> because I was trying to think about a logical sequence, you know, to take people on a, on a journey that would make sense, but also making sure that I was putting the most useful information in there because I also didn't want to make the book too long uh, because I really wanted this to be a book that people can just read and act on, you know, quickly. Uh, so, yeah, I think 
putting the chapters, deciding the order of the chapters was tricky and then writing the conclusion. I wanted to get them really motivated at the end and so I spent a lot of time, you know, uh, working on that and um, leaving it on a positive and inspiring note And because the, the idea is I wanted to inspire people to take action. So I spent a bit of time finishing finishing on that point. But the easiest part, I think, there there were parts when I was just in flow and just writing, it was really easy. Things just came naturally to me. It was like, oh, I want to say this, I want to say that. But then I think when it came to sort of the more editing and the detailed parts and, you know, cutting it it back a bit, looking where I was repeating myself and that sort of thing, that, that was a bit more challenging. But I found, yeah, the free flow writing, the bulk of it, that was that was quite easy. That was really um, that was really enjoyable. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of writing myself, and I do find as soon as you start doing the fl- the free flow stuff, where you don't have to put a reference at the end of every sentence to justify what you're saying, <laughs> it's much easier yes. to to get that information on paper, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so I think one of the most inspiring things about the book that you've published, Sarah, is obviously, yes, the book itself, but also because you've completed your advanced diploma in nutrition and now you've decided to come back and upgrade into the Bachelor of Health Science, which I think is um, very commendable and uh, good on you for doing so. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to upgrade um into the Bachelor of Health Science because there are a lot of clinicians practicing out there who have advanced diplomas who may be considering actually going and upgrading. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for those people? Yeah, so I guess I was still curious and I, I felt like we, we got great, you know, we got great knowledge in the advanced diploma and, uh, you know, that, that was really enjoyable. I really, that, that was a great um, course. But I, I think I just felt um, looking at the bachelor and seeing that there was another 12 subjects, I felt like there's probably a lot more for me to gain. And I guess I, I wanted to, well, I, as I said, I was still curious, but I, I also wanted to, I don't know, I just, I felt responsible as well to ensure that I had the best knowledge that was available to me. And I, I did also uh, know that if I didn't go straight into the upgrade, I probably wouldn't do it. And it was something that I wanted to do. So I figured I may as well just continue on and, and finish that. And I think it's great that you are doing it because once you've got the bachelor, you probably don't have to go back and do any more study for a while and you can really focus on your clinical practice, right? Yeah, I won't be studying for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so no no PhD for a little while. You really want to focus on building up that clinic? Yeah, yeah. I think I think my um my skills are better used elsewhere um than than the PhD for the for the um, moment. <laughs> One thing I have noticed is that you have taken a little bit of a different approach to how you run your clinic. So it's not the typical um, initial and return consultation. You've 
added things like packages into your practice as well, right? Yes, yeah. So I, I work based off packages. Um, yeah, so it is a little different, as you say, uh, but but I find it works really well for a few reasons. Um, firstly, you're able to tell people, you know, exactly what the process is going to be. And from a marketing perspective, it it's, makes life a lot easier because you can sort of clearly say, this is what we'll do. This is what you'll get out of it. This is the aim. This is how long. So people have a really clear idea of how long is it going to take and, um, yeah, they're, they're really clear on what happens. And just from, from a results perspective as well, I find it works really well uh, because people come in really motivated to do the program and they're all excited and it's great energy and that works really well um, as well. And I think it's important for students and recent graduates and also experienced clinicians to hear that information because many who start in clinical practice or have who have been in practice for a long time don't often think about offering packages to their clients. I think it's a nice way to be able to get commitment from your client because they've got to commit to the program. They know exactly what they're in for, how long it's going to take, what the cost is, and they've got like a step-by-step plan there so they know um, what's in store for them rather than going in and being like, okay, I've got to go and see a naturopath now. I don't know what's in store. It may take one session. It may take 12 sessions. We're just not sure. So how do you work around that with your programs? What if people get better after their second session and they don't need to come back for the for the rest of the sessions? How are you working around that? Well, that, that's a good question, actually, because people, uh, it, it's funny, you know, people by the second or third session, they feel really good really quickly, which is, it's, it's interesting, but they come in and then they feel so good straight away with the changes that we make, but there's more to do there's, to make sure it lasts. So with my programs, I have sort of weekly activities that we will do each week, and this helps them to sustain it long term so to make this a lifestyle change rather than just something they're doing just for now Um, because as we know if they go away after a couple of sessions and they feel good and then they go back to doing what they were doing it's not going to (laughs) last so part of the program is helping helping them to make this a real lifestyle shift and um, focusing on what's next not just alleviating what's happening in in the current moment yeah so it's the fact that you are getting results by the sounds of it uh, and from my interactions with you in the past, you're getting results quite quickly. The patients are feeling really good. And then the remainder of the program that you're offering is basically um, solidifying those effects to offer long-term um, benefit. Yeah, that's right. And the the idea of the program as well is is to not overwhelm people. And I think that's really easy to do. I've certainly done it before where you've got so much information you want to give them and so much you want to do with them. And uh, it's really nice to have a structure there. So you can, you know, that you just give them this this week and you'll give them the next piece next week. And, you know, you've got a plan of what you'll work with them on. Uh, because there's always more to it 
and this way it doesn't overwhelm them all at once and they've got that time to to take it in each week or fortnight or however you do it. How have you found that your clients respond um, to the approach that you take with gut health? Because I think you've got a slightly different approach to most, don't you? It is a little different, yeah. I, I describe it as very holistic and quite mindset focused uh, alongside, um, you know, the the dietary stuff and, and things like that. But, yeah, I do take a very holistic approach. And um, people people really enjoy it. And when, when I was first practising, I, I was a little nervous because I, I knew it was a little different and some of the activities I get them to do uh, around more emotional support so some sort of self-love and and confidence building and um habit shifting and that kind of thing i was a little nervous at first at how it would be received but people were really loving it and uh, really enjoying it so that was really encouraging and and good to see because it 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 did shift people you know um it it was really yeah it's really rewarding (laughs) one thing that i've mentioned to many student clinicians and practitioners is that if you want to start really getting the most beneficial effects out of uh, our interventions with specifically diet, it is important to work in combination with someone like a psychotherapist or a psychologist who can address those mindset things. But you're not trying to take the place of those people. You're just trying to um, overcome some of those initial barriers for change is that right yeah that's right uh i have done some some coach training separately and with using those skills you can really help people to to make these make the healthy eating a habit but more importantly i see my role is just bringing awareness to why they've struggled to eat healthily or you know if there's a diet change that they the resisting just brings some awareness to, to the resistance and then if they're not able to to move past it because it, it there's very simple ways um you know once people understand what that food's giving them um you know a simple question they can ask themselves is what's a healthier way for me to get that is it going for a walk instead you know just um so if, if it's at that level you know that's um that's where I would see my role. But if it's something deeply ingrained um, and, you know, there's there's obviously quite some high emotions around it and then that would, yeah, that wouldn't be my place. I'd probably refer on then. So when you're working with your clients in clinical practice, is there a um, certain set of things that you will get them to do at the start um, of the program or is it very much individualized for each person a uh, bit of both but for everyone I, I do always get people to start I talk to them about mindful eating and um, give them you know my, my protocol and handouts on that and I, I get them to start there and I, I do get everyone to start with eating more soft foods easily digestible foods like you you, you know your broths your soups things like that. My my approach is to really calm things down and and start there. Uh, so that's that's why yeah with everyone I will I will definitely work on improving their digestion and just calming the whole system down 
uh, you know, diet will be quite, it's generally quite individualized. Um, but yeah, I, I do always start there. So starting with mindful eating, for me, my my immediate thought is thinking to the Chinese medicine principle or philosophy of to chew your soup 30 or 60 times uh, and to eat more slowly. Is that what you're talking about with mindful eating? Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, exactly that. So chewing your food, uh, eating away from technology, being present with a meal, uh, taking a couple of deep breaths before your meal and um, I encourage people to feel gratitude for the food that they're about to receive. Um, yeah, just that kind of thing. And it it makes such a big difference. It's quite amazing. Just simple acts like that can really just get that absorption happening and really reduce their symptoms quite quickly. The opposite is mindless eating. So that's when people aren't even really thinking about what they're putting into their mouths at all. Do you find that when people start to eat more mindfully, they start to naturally consume more healthy foods or have better eating habits? Yes, yes, and and they get full more quickly and they eat less and, yeah, they, they get surprised and like, oh, I'm not as hungry as I normally am and <laughs> – and they, it, it's it's really great actually to see people get so interested in healthy food, and then they start asking for recipes, and, and they're getting into the kitchen, and they're loving it, and yeah, it's, and, and I do think that mindful eating plays a big role in it because it's like a pay, paying attention to the food that you're eating and um, just knowing the importance of what you put in your body and wanting to nourish your body. That's a real mindset shift. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see. And what better way to pay attention to what you're eating than to cook your own food? Do you think that there's too many people avoiding cooking their own food? Like we see all the ready-to-eat meals now that people are ordering online and getting delivered to their door. Do you think that even though those foods are classified as healthy foods, that there's just something we're missing when we're not preparing our own meals? Yeah. I, I mean, you can always tell, right, like when you go home to mum's for dinner or um, there's, it just tastes different. <laughs> there's um, food cooked with love. It's, it tastes different, I find. And in terms of people avoiding cooking their own foods, I know that, you know, we live in a fast-paced world and, and there's time pressures and things like that. So it can be really tricky. And and I also, I, I think the skills of cooking aren't, you know, not everyone really cooks now. But I, I do find that once people start doing it, they enjoy it. I think they enjoy the taste and they enjoy the practice of doing it and it feels satisfying and, yeah, I agree. I, I think many people are actually even scared to attempt to cook because they've never done it before. Maybe their parents never showed them how to do it. So for them, it's this really daunting experience of where do I even start? So you mentioned you've got recipes and things there for your clients. Are you sort of giving them basic uh, information around how to cook as well? Um, I've never 
really needed to, although that uh, that does remind me of my other side project with uh, a, another nutritionist, a colleague of mine. We we actually have a YouTube channel called The Gut Kitchen, and we actually haven't posted on there for a while, but we've put up a, a fair few easy sort of gut-friendly recipes, and I often direct people to those tutorials if um, if yeah, just to, to show them how to make things. Interesting. So that's the gut kitchen. I'm gonna have a look and I'll <laughs> I'll get I'll get back to you with my thoughts. I'm really interested to check that out. Yeah, thank you. Um it's yeah, it's it's really that was quite an experience learning how to film and edit and um <laughs> yeah, cook on camera and that kind of thing. But yeah, no, it's it's been a really good resource as well, actually, to send my clients to. You know, I've never really even thought about doing something like that for my own practice where um, I, I do really love cooking and I think it's a great idea that you've got that channel there where you can refer your clients back to and they can see you cooking and it probably gives them the confidence to prepare their own meals. We have had a discussion in the past around bone broth. I know that's something that you recommend quite frequently to your clients and um, do you want to share any little secrets as to how you recommend people make a, a good bone broth? Mm. What I really like to do with bone broth is encourage people to, um, well, a few things, but one thing I really like to do is encourage people to put their veggie scraps in there. So like, uh, you know, carrot peel or sweet potato ends and things like that. It, it adds a really good flavour and, and I really love the concept of reducing waste. <laughs> Uh, it gives that, those scraps a kind of second life and I think that adds a lot to the flavour and makes it a bit more earthy. Uh, another thing, uh, this is probably commonly known, but adding a bit of apple cider vinegar with the bones as well, really helpful. I love the idea of holding on to your scraps for a, maybe a couple of days because they would keep in the fridge until it's ready to be used for the bone broth. So all of those things... I would just throw away. I'd usually even never give them a second thought. It's such a good idea to keep them to put in bone broth. Yeah, yeah, because um, I, I do the same. I, I keep them in a in a bag in the fridge until I make my broth, and then you have you don't have to buy as many ingredients to put in there as well. You can just reuse what you've already got. What about um, the length of time you recommend people to cook the broth? Because I know some people say you can cook it for four hours. Some people say to, to cook it overnight. In my experience, I've found that leaving it on for at least 12 hours is good because it really pulls out a lot of the minerals and things from the bone. Um, what are your sort of thoughts around that optimal cooking time for bone broth? Yeah, I agree. Uh, minimum 12 hours, longer for beef bones, I think. Chicken bones, I think 12 hours is good. Um, yeah, beef bones maybe more like 16. But yeah, I, I agree. I think you need to give it that extra time to really allow everything to come out. And uh, things like chicken feet and pig's trotters for the gelatin, are you recommending those as well? I don't use them myself, um, but I know we've, we've had this discussion before about about that. And, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually tried it myself, but I, I think obviously it would be really helpful. 
I'm literally cooking a batch up as we speak and I've put two whole organic pig strotters in there and it's super gelatinous so it's going to be really beneficial for my gut. Yeah, maybe I should try it with my next one. (laughs) So when you're treating patients, obviously you've got your mindfulness eating, you've got your dietary recommendations, recipe recommendations. Are there any particular nutrients that you find uh, a go-to for restoring gut health? I generally really like to use uh, sort of more digestive support, so like the digestive enzymes and the um, HCL, depending on you know what's happening. And I, I find doing that and really working on rebuilding the microbiome, so getting some good fiber in there and uh, you know some good probiotics. And I find, depending on the person, of course, but a lot of the time things can repair themselves by by doing it that way. Um, so you're you're sort of starting at the beginning of the digestive process by promoting stomach acid. So many people forget that. We just jump to these um, really extravagant tests or these extravagant products where it's got all these different bits and pieces in there, but we forget about the acid, which is the cornerstone of all gut health, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And, you know, so many people are on like proton pump inhibitors now and so many people are stressed and it's, it's really important. You're right. Yeah, it, it is like starting at the beginning, going back to the foundations and, and going from there. That That's where I generally tend to start. And then if if they aren't getting better, then we can, you know, bring in some nutrients. Um, but I do like the glutamine. So, yeah, you're, you're using glutamine. What sort of dosing? Is it dependent on the condition or is there a st- standard dose that you're using? I generally like sort of, five to 10 grams a day. I really like the higher doses of glutamine. Some of the research that I've been reading recently is talking about 15 to 20 grams of glutamine per day for restoring gut health. And I find a lot of the products that are out there are actually really low dose glutamine. And sometimes practitioners are scared of using that higher dose. So you're going up to 10 grams a day. That's fantastic. Yeah, for some people. Yeah, I mean, you can obviously just buy it on its own and, and people can just put it in. It doesn't really taste like anything, so it's easier to just put in a smoothie or, or whatever. So as we're approaching the end of your um, discussion here with me today, are there any bits of advice that you would like to give um, students or recent graduates uh, in regards to clinical practice or if there's someone out there considering actually upgrading into a bachelor's course, is there any advice that you'd like to give? Um, yeah. So I think uh, I'll speak to upgrading first. I, I'm really glad I did it. I've learned a lot more. I've gained a lot more knowledge. Um, I'm getting a lot more experience. I've, ha- I've been able to meet more, more students and more lecturers and had new opportunities come out of that. So if you're thinking about upgrading, I definitely recommend doing it. Do it at your own pace, you know, um, but it's it's worth doing, I think. And for new graduates and students considering what's next and um, 
you know, their own clinical practice and things like that. One thing I really want to share is um, don't be scared to find your own voice and, and be yourself out there because you've all got something special. That's that's why you're doing this. So, yeah, just don't be afraid to to shine your own light. And taking chances because I think it's obviously taking a chance, investing the time in writing a book. Um, writing a book's always going to expand your own knowledge greatly, but there's um, always that prospect that when you've written the book, there's going to have to be a second one because you'll be thinking of all the things that you wish you would have put in there. <laughs> so can we expect a second book? Are, are you sort of thinking along those lines at the moment or are you just happy to get the first one out of the way? Uh, no, there'll be a second one. <laughs> All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's so much more to say. Um, yeah, so there will be a second one. Well, I'm going to keep my eye out for it. Um, really excited to stay um, up to date with what you're doing. I think you're an inspiration to a lot of students um, and recent graduates out there who are trying to find their feet and, and find their calling. You've found that with gut health, you're upgrading into your degree, you're publishing a book, you've got a really busy clinic and things are looking great for you, Sarah. So keep up the good work. I'm really proud of everything that you're doing and I'll be making sure to follow along with uh, that second book that comes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for inviting me to come on your podcast. It's it's been, yeah, really lovely talking to you and um, being here today. So thank you so much and thank you for your, all your support. You're welcome, Sarah. Before you go, if people are interested in finding out more about your clinic or they want to get in contact with you, do you have a website that they can go to? Yep. So it's just uh, Sarah Span. So S A R A H S P A N N dot net N E T. Um, probably to, to get in touch with me, the, the best way is probably my Facebook page. Uh, my um, if you can just if you just search me Sarah Span. Uh, my, my Facebook page is is my business page. So that's a really good way to get in touch with me as well. Uh, but yeah, if you want to check out my website, it's, uh, it's S-A-R-A-H-S-P-A-N-N dot N-E-T. And what about the book? Where can people purchase that? That's on Amazon. Uh, so if you just search, well, actually, there's a link to it on my website as well. So you could go there and, and click through uh, or direct to Amazon and just search Mind the Gut and hopefully it'll come up. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'll also put links to your website and the Amazon um, book page in the show notes for people to get access to. Awesome. Thank you. Not a problem at all. Pleasure speaking with you today, Sarah. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.